Hi. 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 We're Distractions Media. Over the past three years, we've raised money for charity during our 24-hour live stream in December. And we're back at it again. This year, we're raising money for three special charities. Anxiety Gaming, Special Effect, and Rainbow Railroad. We're looking once again to top our goal. Your help, I know that we can do it. You can donate to the charity of your choice at distractionsmedia.com slash charity stream. As always, if you would like to watch us play games, have fun, and join our community, you can do so at twitch.tv slash distractions. Fun begins at noon Eastern, December 1st. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your generous support. Welcome back to the Welsh History Podcast, episode 91, Bryn, Derwin, and Lone Rule. In 1255, Owen the Red and his brother, Llewellyn Ap Griffith, finally came to blows out of a desire to settle who runs Gwyneth once and for all. It would have significant long-term consequences for all concerned and set the table for the conflicts that would, of course, follow. It was the end of a short peace before things continue to degrade, shall we say. It starts with the recognition by Henry III of the rights of David to his small portion of Gwyneth, as we mentioned last time on this podcast. Uh, a small tip of the Thleen Peninsula was a, set aside effectively for David. It didn't border any of Llewellyn's lands as he controlled the eastern half of Gwyneth at the time, or what was then Gwyneth on the western side of the Conwy. Uh, so in that respect, they didn't touch each other, but it was just a small tip of a very big iceberg of problems, especially if, as Henry was likely planning on doing, which was giving similar property to the youngest brother of the group in a later, either in that decade or the decade to follow. Llewellyn must have also worried that powerful men were coming to David's aid, including the descendants of Edwin Feichan, who was a significant member of the household and a former advisor to David's grandfather. His son, Tudor, and possibly also his other son, Griffith, were said to be important to David at the time. We're not sure what about this more disturbed Llewellyn, but it was obvious that the result in 1251 set him on a collision course with David and, by extension, his older brother. By 1252, David was ruling over his domain at least enough to preside over the canons of the Church of Abaderon in a dispute with Bardsley Island. In time, David became important enough to be, to his eldest brother Owen, made captain of his household, or du famille. This put him at an important position as the Pentalu, which of course, as we've mentioned before, is a military position usually given to siblings or cousins who have a line of succession, kind of keep them out of trouble, to be honest. Um, and because it was a normal position for, the, for an important or close member of the family, it shows that Owen still considered David to be important to him and that 
David was also given this piece of land in Parsh in Owen's territory. So obviously there was less animosity between the two brothers. It may have been why Llewellyn felt threatened. This could not have lessened when in 1253 David did homage to the King Henry, setting himself up as equal to his brothers in inheritance, which, as we made mention previously, would have delighted Henry because of the conflict it would have created. More conflict, more division. This served his purpose of keeping the Welsh out of the way and out of threat. By September 1253, Henry had acknowledged that David could have whatever part of Gwyneth he could claim for himself. And if that's not an open challenge to his elder brothers, I'm not quite sure what else he could have done to cause this. This, of course, made problems for the king eventually, because while distracting Llewellyn and Owen, of course, as it would do, it also meant that he was going to have further issues and areas where he normally was able to draw support from the native rulers in Wales, and these rulers weren't terribly happy with this decision. This much meddling into what became of heirs and of cousins and of relatives meant that the unintended consequence was that other native lords, such as Griffith ap Madog from Paus Fedog, would question whether his own land would be divided up at the whims of a king with too much time on his hands and a desire to keep the Welsh in their place. When you already had to worry about not just immediate family members, but also distant cousins making claim on your crown, it could make a few Welsh lords uh, a little time to connect the dots of how troublesome this was going to be. And eventually, the king's council were quick to try and mitigate the issue. Basically, in creating this problem, Henry had given Llewellyn a native leader to have common cause with, and down the road, Griffith would become an ally. Even as the king tried to assuage Griffith that the Gwyneth case was entirely different because, of course, this was a part of the Treaty of Woodstock, and so it was seen as being a portion of that idea, not something to be carried out on all Welsh native lords. Uh, as we know from last time, the Treaty of Woodstock was a very uh, harsh decision and put a lot of pressure on the Welsh lords. By 1254, a council was created to hear the grievances of the various brothers in Gwyneth. The king, maintaining his liege status, appointed men from his court and the native leaders to the council. This commission arrived in Chester at April 26, 1254, consisting of Alan Lajouche, John Lestrange, Griffith ap Gwenwinwin, of course, of a dynasty that was the most opposed to Llewellyn ap Yoidrith, and Griffith ap Madog, who we mentioned earlier. And it was a full court hearing, with each brother being represented by lawyers in some type of civil suit. Effectively, they were allowed to testify. Uh, they both had to present cases to this court. So in effect, it was like a civil court, um, looking more like at a family grievance than at an actual like lineage dispute. Uh, so it's an interesting kind of dynamic, because now all of a sudden you've got the king enforcing this idea of what effectively is English law on these Welsh brothers, who supposedly, while giving liege lord status to the king, were not necessarily a part of the kingdom. So it's an interesting kind of dynamic going on. While presented as an issue with Llewellyn versus David, the king also made allowances that Owen could even bring his own grievances forward if he chose. 
as far as we know, we don't know if he did or not. There was never a lot of information here. We only have bits and pieces. Uh, historian uh, Beverly Smith did quite a lot of work on this. Uh, in fact, I will lean heavily on the book he wrote in documenting the life of Llewellyn F. Griffith. And so keep that in mind as we go forward. It's definitely going to be a big part of our understanding of, of kind of what's happening. And like I said, some of this is coming from chroniclers. Some of it's coming from written documents of others. And so we don't always have either A, a non-biased source, obviously, and B, a lot of perspective or a lot of understanding of what was going on in the minds of these men. Um, the basics of the disagreement was that Llewellyn appears to have not wanted any more land division and was really not willing to give any more to the other brothers. He seemed pretty fed up with the fact that the other two would even begin to get more property and basically was not prepared to yield his position on this. In early 1255, the dispute was still in vogue and Llewellyn was summoned to speak with the king about these issues. While we don't know what went on and we don't we don't really have an understanding of where the conflict between the two men lied at this stage. What we do know is that it went nowhere. So whatever this meeting was held to discuss, it didn't accomplish much. At the end of the day, the brothers were stuck. Llewellyn had decided that this was as far as he was prepared to go and was going to go no farther. Giving up half the kingdom to Owen was one thing. He was the elder brother after all but sharing it with a third and likely a fourth brother was out of the question. Llewellyn must have felt strongly enough that he brooked the wrath of the king, who, once again, was trying to set up another commission to deal with the mess, and once again was trying to enforce his own ideals and rules on the brothers. Meanwhile, Owain and David had had enough. They marched out in force to take on their brother. The two allies decided to attack Llewellyn, and we aren't really told why they attacked first. We just know, according to the chroniclers and the, and the poets and the storytellers, that that's what happened, that they launched an assault on Llewellyn and that Llewellyn took them on in his defensive position. And initially, it was successful, but it didn't last. And in the end, the brother Owen and David lost. Uh, this, of course, we don't really know much beyond that, other than that the two allies had obviously decided to attack Llewellyn, and it likely was either impatience over his intransigence, which had gone on for over a year, or possibly even up to three years, or it was down to they, they felt they had to act before Llewellyn could marshal opposing forces. So in other words, the other option may have been that he was bringing his own set of troops forward, was gathering his own men, and they thought, we better launch this before he launches his and try and defeat him before he can gather too many forces together and too much strength. Um, either way, they marched out to an area near Bullich, Dow, Vinith, close by the boundary of Ervon and Ivonith. According to the poet, we, it was a sharp, short battle, which Llewellyn won comprehensively over his brothers, uh, which it's described as being a rash assault, uh, something taken on in, in the fleet of a moment rather than in, with preparation and with forethought. And while there is no actual date for the battle, uh, 
Professor Smith suggests that it was likely to have taken place in the middle of June, about 1255. His reason for this is because by June 20th, the King's Council knew the outcome and that David and Owen had lost and were now captives of their brother. As you look at the way that this conflict is portrayed and the way it went down in later history, it seems likely that the basis of the dispute was never about Owen. But nonetheless, he would spend 20 years as a prisoner to his brother and would be seen as a problem for Llewellyn, who, after all, was the second son and, of course, according to English law, was not primogenitor, so thus couldn't inherit his father's kingdom. Yet, at the same time, under Welsh law, he was perfectly allowed to, as long as he could win. And at the end of the battle, however, of course, the reality on the ground was much more important than the philosophy of English law. To put it bluntly, if the king was not happy about the outcome, there was not much outside of the use of force that he could do about it. He put the brothers at odds, and now, in a fairly traditional Welsh fashion, they were now there was now only one of them to deal with. Having now grabbed all of the remaining parts of Western Gwyneth, Llewellyn was now free to focus on concentrating his power, pushing out against the English, who of course controlled still the old eastern half of Gwyneth, in the shape of the four cantriffs on the eastern half of the Conwy. So we'd had nine years of peace, but now this had all led to a new leader, a new lord in Snowdonia, who owed a whole lot less to Henry, and a whole lot less to those who necessarily followed his brothers. But even in saying that, it was obvious that Llewellyn simply could not execute his brothers as he would have done in the olden days, or put them aside in a way that would make them not worth having around. Simply put, there's still some contention by historians that Owen was seen as a good ruler, and who was someone respected both by chroniclers and by his own people. They looked at what poets and documentary people have said and basically came to the conclusion that Owen was, at least during that nine-year period, considered to be a decent ruler to his people. And one could make the argument his dealings with his other brother seemed to be fair and seemed to be just and seemed to be considerate of the fact that his other brother, David, was owed land. So in a way, he was more kind and more considerate, but Llewellyn was the more effective leader, as it were. Uh, of course, this means that Owen would have a ready bunch of rebels, if he could escape, who would rally to the cause. Um, so they couldn't release him, but at the same time, they weren't going to kill him, because if you execute him, then you give him martyr status, which probably to Llewellyn didn't seem like a wise idea. And again, he may have loved his brother. He may have just disagreed with him over the conclusion of how to deal with David, and in and of itself may show that he was not willing to brook any other disagreement. Uh, we'll see in future that David continues to be a thorn in his side. And that in and of itself is important because you, we know that Welsh don't have primogenitor really. It's something of a new thing that they're trying to institute, at least under Llewellyn ap Yoirith, there was an attempt to do it. But the reality of it is, Griffith, the son of Llewellyn, was not legitimately the heir in English eyes. 
And so all of these succeeding children were not legitimate heirs. And while if they were at all considered that way, obviously they were recognized as such, Owen was the only one who could be considered the legitimate overall heir in English law. So the fact that Llewellyn not only overthrew him, imprisoned him, and kept him there for a very long time showed that he was nervous of the consequence of straight out executing him. He also didn't execute David, similar set of circumstances, but David becomes much more of a problem to him later on, whereas Owen never really became a problem. Uh, the other concern, of course, is that you didn't want Henry to intervene. Um, if you could at least keep up the veneer for a moment that Owen was kept in a soft, cuddly prison and that he was not going to be eliminated, so there simply was a matter of a family dispute which was taken care of by the same family. It was not a blood feud or a slaughter or a rebellion against the king. Then it's a lot easier for you to pass that off and avoid further problems. For Llewellyn, this is an important distinction because it gives you a bit of credence to go back to the king and say, what are you going to do? And obviously, Henry was not prepared to get into another war in Wales. He had enough problems going on. We talked a bit about this in the last episode, that his own internal problems were causing him enough trouble. He didn't need to be dealing with this too. And this allowed Llewellyn to expand and establish his power base, to get those who were initially opposed to him on board and on side, and start to work on his native lords and make them allies instead of enemies, and to try and unify the Welsh under his banner. And certainly you can see this starting from this point on. Llewellyn just gives the appearance that he wasn't ready to... He'd learned the lessons that the English had taught him, which is that you need one strong king in charge, the descendancy to go through him in primogenitor, and not to allow them to be divided and broken and fighting amongst themselves. And he is about to put this in practice for the next 30 years. And we'll see how this all works out. I mean, first he has to deal with what happened with the Treaty of Woodstock, because of course it will take time to be able to deal with that. But certainly there's already signs that in the four cantrips there is not a lot of love lost with the English. And it's not about to get better because there's a new lord on the horizon. As Llewellyn is defeating his brothers, as he's gathering and creating control for himself, obviously he's looking over at the four cantrips and wanting them back. And at this point, they're not under control by a Welsh uh, marcher lord, but are under control of the king, and the king is looking at an issue for himself because in the next three years, not only is he going to have to deal with Monfort, who's going to come forward in the Baron's Revolt, his own son, who has been more or less influenced by his mother's family in France, is going to become a problem for him. And Edward will be the new problem for both his father and, of course, for Llewellyn as he starts to take an interest in those territories on the edge of Wales and these territories that are in this region 
will suddenly become much more of interest to him. And we're going to see this conflict grow and continue to become an issue going forward, as you'd imagine. So as we move forward, we're going to talk a whole lot more about Edward and, of course, Llewellyn and how these two men dealt with and had to overcome one another at different points in their history. And until next time, thank you all for listening. Thank you for your uh, support. I want to thank my patrons who help fund the purchases of books and keeping this podcast afloat. And I'd like to thank you all once again for listening. If you have any comments or concerns, you can reach me at the Welsh History Podcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at Welsh History Pod or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Welsh History Podcast. Thanks, everybody. Take care. Have a great day. Bye bye. This has been a Distractions Media production. And for everything we do, check out distractionsmedia.com. Welcome to Anthology of Heroes, the podcast that explores the most pivotal moments of history through the eyes of those who lived it. In this podcast, we don't spend our time recounting facts and dates. Instead, we follow in the footsteps of national heroes, kings, or ordinary people who lived and breathed the moments that shaped our world. We're not hemmed in by eras, borders, or religions. Instead, we seek out the tales of those who defied the odds and fought passionately for their beliefs. Whether they're right or wrong is up to you to decide. From Vercingetorix's doomed rebellion against Rome, to Osceola's unshakable war against the USA, all the way up to the inspiring Sobibor concentration camp uprising in World War II, each episode is an immersive listening experience, blending music and sound effects to really draw you into the story. Our episodes go for about 45 minutes, making them perfect for your commute, and are crafted using a wealth of historical sources, which I list on our website if you want to learn more. I'm the host, Elliot Gates, and I'm thrilled to have you joining me as we uncover history's hidden gems and illuminate the faded pages of our past. Look out for the Anthology of Heroes podcast on Spotify, Apple Music, or anywhere else you get your podcasts from.